We have uh, entered the part, portion of the Sermon on the Mount where we get to the Lord's Prayer. And so I thought it would just be appropriate for us. Uh, many of us have, have memorized this or, or know it uh, by heart. And uh, I thought it would just be appropriate for us to begin uh, as just a congregation uh, reading this together. Now I do want to throw in one caveat. We've all memorized different versions of this, right? Some, some very old school versions. So I just want to ask, you know, if you get to, if, if trespasses comes to mind, just read on the screen because it's going to say debts. And if you say trespasses, you're going to be behind and it's going to be awkward. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll, we'll, let's read this together. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I have a friend um, who, uh, there's a few things that I notice about my friend. He's several years older than me, but I, I, I spend time with him weekly. Um, we pray together weekly, but I, I see him uh, more often than just once a week. And uh, this friend, uh, there's a few things I, I notice about him that just immediately come to mind when I think of him. And, and that's one, that he's just one of the most joyful, courageous, confident, bold Christians I've ever met. And uh, I don't think that's coincidence. I don't think it's uh, just because uh, he just wills it into himself. I think there's a lot that's happened to him to form him into that kind of person. And I think one of the biggest things that's formed him is this, is that he has a regular daily prayer rhythm that he does not miss. A regular daily prayer rhythm that he does not miss. Now, um, my friend uh, recently has actually uh, been diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, he's right in the middle of all the unknown. Like there's not a lot of certainty right now. It's just a whole lot of unknown. But something keeps coming to mind uh, that he's told me. When he, when he told me uh, of his diagnosis, uh, I, I remember him uh, standing there saying, but, but he, he told me that he had cancer, but he said, it, it changes nothing. He said, it doesn't change about how I feel about God. It doesn't change about how, change how I'm gonna live my life. Um, and then he said this, I am confident that God is able. I am confident that God is able. And since uh, him telling me that several weeks ago, uh, not one bit, at least that I can observe, of his prayer life has changed. The same things that were forming him into that joyful, confident, courageous Christian is the same things he's continuing to do after a life-altering diagnosis. See, for my friend, uh, prayer is not just a duty. It is a delight. He loves to be with his Savior. So I, I think of my friend in comparison to myself, to be honest, and um, my experience uh, doesn't quite feel like that. In fact, most of my life and journey and struggle with prayer has felt more duty than delight. It's felt uh, like a chore, maybe something I know is good, something that I do believe has power, but something that kind of feels just laborious and tedious even at times. Um, it, it often feels, if I'm being really honest with you, like I am just thinking thoughts into an empty room, bouncing off four walls and coming back to me, and I don't really know if God is out there listening. 
It's a temptation for me in prayer. I think we can all relate to this. Uh, prayer for me has been a place where I get the most distracted. Like, of all the places in life, the place where I get most distracted, the place where I just turn into ADD is, church, is prayer. It's like I start praying and suddenly I, don't, I think about anything other than prayer. And uh, I think about the chores that got to get done, the emails that got to get sent. I, I literally play conversations in my head that I'm going to have later in the day. I think about anything other than prayer. If you're honest, and you don't have to come up to a stage and say it, but if you just identify in your own heart, can you relate to any of that with prayer? It's been more duty than delight for most of my life. Um, But if that's you, if you relate to me at all this morning, I just want to say, one, welcome, you're among friends. Uh, But two, we're not the only ones. In fact, St. Teresa of of Avila, it's not uh, Mother Teresa, but a a Spanish nun, she says this, when it comes to prayer, we're all beginners. When it comes to prayer, we're all beginners. And the good news is that that doesn't even just include you and me in this room. That actually includes the disciples, the people who literally walked with Jesus. Uh, In, uh, you know, we're coming up to the point in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, this is where Matthew situates the Lord's Prayer. But in Luke's Gospel, the only other Gospel that's recorded, Um, the Lord's Prayer, comes at the disciples' request to Jesus. They say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because they saw something about Jesus' prayer life that he had, and they didn't, and so they said, teach us. And so part of our posture this morning is just like the disciples in Luke, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now last week, uh, Matt uh, talked about the verses preceding and following the Lord's Prayer, about prayer and fasting, and um, he, he set the stage really well, um, talking about the context of prayer. I loved his takeaways. Regular, intentional, and imperfect times of prayer. Just make time to do that. Um, well, if he preached the context of prayer, uh, today I want to look at the substance or the content of prayer. What does Jesus actually teach his disciples, his followers, to pray? So in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 6, he'll say, this then is how you should pray. And it's almost as if he lays a template before us that we call the Lord's Prayer. In Luke's gospel, uh, he actually says, when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray, he says, when you pray, say this. And uh, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight actually says, argues that that Jesus is kind of imperative there, when you pray, say, could actually be interpreted when you pray, recite this. So uh, either one may or may not be true, that Maybe it's Jesus is giving us a template to pray along with, or maybe Jesus is giving us specific words to pray. Either way you go with it, these are instructions from Jesus himself on how to pray. And because of that, I think we ought to lean in and listen to how Jesus teaches us. Before we jump in to the Lord's Prayer, though, I just want to address the nature of prayer. Uh, I think Matt mentioned last week, just at, at its most uh, foundational intent, the idea of prayer is that we are being with God. Uh, I love how he phrased that. I couldn't agree more. And actually, it's in our being with God that what prayer is doing in us, it's, it is um, re- recovering and reordering that which we were made to be. This is a quote from Tyler Statton in his book, Living Like Monks, Praying Like, Praying like Monks, Living Like Fools. Sorry, long title. He says, prayer is the recovery of our role in God's created order, the recovery of our true identity and the relationship that defines that identity to us. 
Prayer is recovering our role in God's created order. I want you to think about uh, Adam and Eve, right, in the garden. God creates the, the universe, creates the cosmos, and he puts Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden, and he, he puts them there for two purposes. One, so that they could dwell with him. In fact, scholars will um, point out the temple language that is in the construction of the Garden of Eden, this place where God could be with his people. But more than that, ju- not just to be with them, he wanted to rule with them. In fact, he gives Adam and Eve dominion over all the fish and the birds and, and over every living thing. He, so God creates man and woman so that they could be with him and rule with him. And prayer is a means of reorienting our hearts toward that created purpose. And so with this in mind, uh, we're gonna track through the Lord's Prayer. Just high-level overview before we dive in. There are two orientations that Jesus wants us to direct our hearts toward. One is upward, or Godward, uh, more aptly put, in verses nine and 10, and then verses 11 and 13 deals with what's in us and how we treat others. And so we see this vertical component and horizontal component as well to Jesus' teaching on prayer. Within these orientations, there are four movements. Now, there's a, lots of way, there's a lot of ways you could structure prayer. I grew up with the ACTS uh, model of prayer, ACTS. Um, this, the way we're going to work through the day, it's just, a, it's just a tool. I'm not saying it's the only way to pray, but it's how I've seen the Lord's prayer. And so that's through these four movements, and that's praise, intercession, petition, and spiritual warfare. And we're going to track through each of these movements and see how Jesus teaches us to pray. So um, just as we dive in, um, I just want to emphasize one thing. Um, Our young adult ministry, I have the the privilege of serving as our young adults pastor here on staff. And so I get to work with 18 to uh, people in their early 30s here. And as a ministry, we've been going through um, a study on prayer. And we've been heavily relying on these resources from a nonprofit called Practicing the Way. And uh, it's been tremendously helpful, um, and I've used a lot of those resources to help uh, in my study for this sermon. Um, so I just wanted to give credit where credit is due that I've leaned on that, and if you're a young adult in the room, some of this may be repetition, but repetition's good for us, I believe, so we'll get into it. Um, praise, right? Uh, the first movement Jesus teaches us to pray. What praise does is reorients our heart toward God. He teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father, right? Jesus first teaches us to relate to God as Father. He uses the the Hebrew term, the familial language for a a young child to his or her parent, um, Abba, means daddy in Hebrew. Uh, One scholar, uh, Joachim Jeremiah, points this out. He says, there is not a single example of the use of Abba as an address to God in the whole of Jewish literature. All right, it's fascinating. There's not a single use of Abba in all of Jewish literature, and yet it's Jesus' go-to word in reference to God. Jesus is correcting something in us, teaching us how to relate to the God that we are praying to. And in fact, the primary emotional uh, word that scripture uses, both Old and New Testaments, uh, dealing with God's relationship to us, like his disposition, how he feels about us, is compassion, tenderheartedness, loving kindness, a delight, a concern for 
you. That's how Jesus teaches us that God relates to us, and in that context, we can pray to him as our Abba, our Daddy, our Father. Now, I just have to pause here for a minute because heavily aware that all of us bring into the room a different story, a different father story and a different father wound. And so maybe identify, like identifying with God as, as our, us as children to him as father is, is hard or difficult because of the hurdles that your earthly father put in the way for you to relate well to God. As you say, I, I hope that this morning is an invitation for us to begin to break some of those false images. John Tyson, a pastor in New York City, he says, there's not a, or sorry, he says, unless you break the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. So this morning, and what Jesus is inviting us to, is to begin to tear out the bricks of those strongholds that keep us from relating to God rightly. He's a compassionate, tender-hearted Father who loves you. So he relates to us personally, right? But there's also the communal aspect. Jesus doesn't say my father. He says our father. So there's an element of us together coming before God as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of a good father. This is how Jesus teaches us to relate to God. He says our father in heaven. Now this word is kind of gets mistranslated into English. Uh, we tend to think of a singular place, heaven, as a, a proper name of a place. Um, really, the Greek term is uranos. It uh, refers not to a, a place, but all that's around us. It refers, the better translation would be the heavens. Think of Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Um, what Jesus is saying here is God is as near to you as the very air that you're breathing. He's not far off in a distant place, just waiting for you. He is with you. Our Father in the heavens. God is near. Not at a distance, but very close to us. Jesus is, again, remember, correcting maybe some of this um, higher transcendent uh, view of God, which was not wrong, but they tend to lean into that. And he's, he's teaching his disciples that God is near. He loves you like a father loves his own child. Hallowed be your name. Now, hallow is not a term we use a whole lot in everyday English, um, but you've probably heard it preached on. Uh, this is not an uncommon passage of scripture. To hallow something means to revere or respect. So when we hallow the name of God, we are revering or respecting God's holiness in particular. We are honoring him as a, a part, unique from everything else that is created. He's beautiful in his own way, unlike anything that's ever come before and anything that will ever come after. He is eternally unique and holy. And so to say that he's holy is that there's no other being in all the created cosmos that is like God. There is no one like him. And this is Jesus' first posture in prayer, right? Our, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, I, I think that um, our first posture tends to be something else. And it's not that any of these things are wrong, but uh, typically when we come to God in prayer, it's usually because we have a need to feel happy or fulfilled. 
Um, it's because our life uh, or circumstances feel under threat. It's because we need help outside of ourselves. And again, none of these things are wrong. They're just not Jesus' first posture. And they're not how Jesus teaches us, firstly, to relate to God. In fact, intimacy with God, praise of God, reorienting our hearts back to who God is, is the first step before we make any requests. And so for Jesus, the, first, the initial goal of prayer is simply to enter the beauty of God. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, says, to hallow God's name is to have a heart of grateful joy toward God and even more a wondrous sense of his beauty. So Jesus is teaching us by his own example to join creation in loving worship of the Father, to approach God in gratitude and to recognize how utterly unique, wonderful, beautiful, and holy he is. And as we do this, we reorient our heart. Because you remember the story of Adam and Eve, um, ultimately they fall. Genesis 3, right? They fall because they usurp God's position and they decide to take matters into their own hands. And this is the first sin. And this is how sin is introduced into the world. And so what prayer is doing is reorienting our hearts back to how God has designed us and them to be. So we move from praise um, into intercession. Intercession, uh, maybe an easy definition, is asking on behalf of others. Um, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting us through prayer, and this is amazing, to bend reality according to our Father's good intentions. It's like literally teaching us that we have the ability through prayer to bring the kingdom of God, to invite the kingdom of God and the will of God into the here and now, and thus making us co-managers of heaven's resources, as Tyler Staten says. What a beautiful way to think of the power of prayer, right? Now, there's two assumptions in Jesus' statement, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done. First assumption is this, one, that the kingdom of God is not yet come, and the will of God is not yet done, at least in full, right? In part, but not in full. Another assumption is that our prayer actually makes a difference in what does or does not happen. So in Jesus praying this, he makes two assumptions, that God's kingdom's not come, and that our prayer actually makes a difference in inviting his kingdom to come and his will to be done. So we're gonna come back to the idea of asking in a moment. Um, but here's the takeaway for this kind of intercession. It's through prayer, we drag the future age of the kingdom of God into the present. We drag it into the here and now. We see, we believe that in the kingdom, relationships are restored. Bodies are restored. People are restored. And so we intercede and ask of God on behalf of the world around us, on behalf of people we love, on behalf of our enemies. We say, may it be so. Would your kingdom come? And I think there's, we have to emphasize, Jesus teaches us to pray your kingdom in reference to the kingdom and will of God, not our own. Think of how often we attempt to build our own kingdoms and we can disguise it under building God's kingdom. We can mask it really well. 
but so often the motivation of our hearts is to build our own kingdoms, to further our own causes. And so praying this prayer repositions ourselves under the authority of God and recovering our creational roles as those who are be with him and rule with him. So the first two movements of prayer, praise and intercession. And now Jesus moves from that kind of Godward orientation to the inward and outward orientation uh, through his third movement, which is petition. And so if intercession is asking on behalf of others, petition is asking on behalf of ourselves. And uh, oftentimes they're two sides of the same coin. Sometimes they intersect or run very parallel to each other, um, our prayers of intercession and petition. But Jesus teaches us to ask, give us today our daily bread. See, Jesus knows what we need, and yet he invites, teaches, encourages us to ask. It's like the blind man in the Gospels, right? Jesus walks up to a blind man, the blind man calls out to him, uh, Jesus asked the blind man, what would you like for me to do for you? It's like, well, isn't it obvious, Jesus? Like, make me see. But Jesus wants the man to ask. And he invites us to do the same thing. I kind of want to just address this idea of asking for a minute. um, Because I know for me, it's not something that I'm good at. Um, and and it's somewhere uh, at a heart level, there's a lack of belief in how God is working in our world uh, for me. And maybe you can relate. But there are times when I, I try my best to muster whatever faith I can and pray with what boldness I can. Whether it's God, will you heal? God, will you restore? God, will you redeem? God, will you fix what's broken? Even in a situation I believe is irredeemable or unhealable. And, and, and I, I don't know uh, if he's actually going to answer it the way I want him to. And so oftentimes I end those prayers, which can sound really bold, but I end them with, but God, your will be done. And I think there's a beauty and a brokenness to that statement, right? The, the beauty is this, if we really pray it from a place of sincerity, that I can with open-handed surrender say, God, your will be done. And even if it's not my will, I'll be obedient, I'll be faithful, I will walk with you. In spite of it, your will be done. I think that's one side, but I I don't know that that's the reason I always say your will be done. I think uh, more often than not, if I'm honest, I will add that phrase onto the end of a prayer almost as an emotional out clause, (laughs) a way for me to feel okay if God doesn't answer the prayer that I expect him to answer. And thereby I don't pray with the faith, (laughs) with the belief that God will move and will be moved by my request. But Jesus teaches us to ask. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century Baptist preacher, says, whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. I love that phrase. Paul Miller, his book, A Praying Life, he says this, all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized with one word, ask. Over and over again, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Matthew 7, right? Matthew 7, 7. He says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So here's the question about asking. Would Jesus teach us, remember this whole prayer that we're reading is Jesus' instruction on how to pray. Would Jesus teach us to ask if 
God's mind was already made up. Brings up all sorts of questions about the nature of God and how he works. Or is there something about our asking that perks the ears of a loving, compassionate father and who is stirred to move within his character, nature, and will? It's a quote by Dallas Willard. God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. Of course, this is not the biblical idea of prayer, nor is it the idea of people for whom prayer is a vital part of life. Listen, we will never have a rich, deep, or intimate relationship with God if we don't believe he is actually moved by our requests. Because then we'll just pray with some sort of determinism that, God, your mind's already made up, so what's the point in me asking? But Jesus teaches us to make our requests known to God. God is not playing games with you. He loves you. He wants to hear your concern. He wants to hear your requests, and he is moved by them. And there are instances in Scripture, I wish we could dig into them today, where God is moved by the requests of his people. And he acts differently because his people asked. Now, there needs to be room for nuance here, right? Uh, Not all of our prayers, even the ones we have to believe, uh, coincide with the character, nature, and will of God Um, not all those prayers get answered in the way we ask. Uh, Our theology of prayer must involve a humility regarding the mystery of prayer and the mystery of how God chooses to respond to our prayers. And I know in this room, I know it for a fact because I've sat at coffee tables and in small groups, I've prayed with many of you who have stories of unanswered prayer or prayers not answered the way that we've asked. And so for you, I just believe the invitation this morning is this, it's just stay in the room with Jesus. Don't get up and walk out, stay in the room. Follow his invitation, right? Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep trusting and believing because God relates to you as tender, compassionate, Father. I love this Tim Kettler quote, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knows. One more thing to note just about this daily bread piece. Um, the, The request is just for that God would provide the needs for today, right? Um, God operates in the normal everyday needs of his children. It's a quote by Tyler Staten. He says, Jesus unmistakably rips prayer out of the sacred stained glass ornate walls of the church and places it in the commonness of everyday life. Prayer is not the ascent of the soul to some other place. It deals directly with our basic day-to-day needs and wants. 
Prayer is about the demands, obligations, and privileges of this very day. And it's, it's for this reason, right? We have a kids' ministry going on down the hall right now. I used to serve in that kids' ministry for several years. And it's for this reason that I loved hearing, and those volunteers and leaders down there love hearing when little kids bring up prayer requests for their grannies, their dogs, and their goldfish, right? Like, those matter to these children, right? And your requests matter to God. I think God is pleased when a little kid shows, like, points at their Band-Aid and says, will you pray for my boo-boo? Like, I think that pleases the heart of God because he cares about what we care about, because he cares about us. This is our God. So Jesus meets you right where you're at and invites you to come to, to him with your needs, simple or complex as they may be. The rule of the kingdom is ask. So prayer, intercession, or praise, intercession, petition, final movement of the Lord's prayer here is spiritual warfare, engaging the enemies of our souls. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I just want to address the forgiveness piece here for a minute because this is pretty explosive if we actually take Jesus at his word here. Uh, think about this prayer, right? Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Uh, in other words, forgive me like I forgive others. You know, many of us pray these words and many of us did this morning. Can run right by them without stopping to uh, address what Jesus is actually saying here. We'll pray these words while we hold a grudge against a brother or a sister, or we, we hold an offense against them. We hold bitterness against them. And we've asked Jesus, we've asked God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive all those that offended us. Or you flip it, right? Instead of the request, make it a statement. What we just said to God is, if I don't forgive anyone, then don't forgive me either. And that is scary to think about you follow where that leads. In fact, this is where Jesus goes after he concludes this section on the Lord's Prayer here, the next, uh, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is explosive and dangerous. And I have to admit, at some level, my preaching here is insufficient right? Because I am learning how to live this out, and I know that the implications here are massive, right? There are little petty things that are easy to forgive. Maybe we hold on to them too much when we shouldn't, and I get that. But there are significant hurts, offenses, betrayals that have been caused by the hands of others that make it impossibly difficult to forgive. And in those cases, I don't know what to do with this text, is challenging to how we live. But it does beg the question, right? It begs the question, does our treatment of others influence how God relates to us and answers our prayers? I think there's a biblical case to be made that it does. Um, 1 Peter 3, 7 
says this, another tough text. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. In other words, spouses who are inconsiderate, your prayers are hindered and possibly therefore unanswered. What? (laughs) We don't have a category for that. That messes with me when I think about who God is and the grace of God. And it's not inconsistent with his character and nature. In fact, I hope we get, have more time to, to come back to this at some point. Like I said, my preaching will be insufficient. I did put it in the study guide. If you're, in, um, if you're going through in your community group, if you're going through the sermon series, um, this is in your study guide. I hope you wrestle with these texts like I have this week. Um, but they're hard. They're explosive. They're provocative. They're uncomfortable. But I think the point is this. God is so concerned with how you treat others to the point that Jesus says, if you don't forgive others, God won't forgive you. And to the point that Peter says, if you aren't considerate to your spouse, your prayers will be hindered. And I think maybe the biggest takeaway we can take here is just when we come to God, uh, acknowledge what's in our own hearts. Um, Acknowledge that uh, we may be like the Pharisees in some of these areas where I can speak the Lord's prayer out, honoring God with my lips, but my heart be far from him. And so there's one takeaway here. I think it's just be aware of our own hearts. And don't misunderstand me. It's, it's not that you have to, uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to scare you. It's not that you have to clean up your act to come to Jesus. In fact, I think God is much less concerned with our mixed motives upon coming to him than we are. But know that how you are interacting with others, God loves people so much. Like everything I just said about God, the way that God relates to you as compassionate, tender-hearted, loving and kind father, that, that is true about the person sitting next to you, that's true about your coworker, that's true about your boss, and that's true about your worst enemy. So God cares about how you treat them. And Jesus concludes his prayer Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is not just suggesting, he's outright saying, sin is serious. We must seek God's help in overcoming sin, overcoming evil, overcoming the evil one. But deliverance comes in the name and power of our God. He is near and his spirit is able. And if Jesus indeed is able to deliver us from sin, that that means he is greater That means he is mightier. That means he is stronger than all the powers of evil, sin, and death combined. All evil is in submission to him. And therefore, if you are in Christ, you are not enslaved to evil or to the evil one. You can experience victory. In fact, that victory is already yours and Jesus teaches us to keep asking for it. I love this um, text from 1 Corinthians 10 was a lifeline for me in a period when I felt enslaved to habitual sins. It goes like this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Listen, if you are here today and you are experiencing prolonged habitual enslavement to sin, Here's the invitation. 
come back to Jesus. Keep praying these words. Maybe put these words before you. Father, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. It's not just a, a rote saying. At the end of a prayer, there is power in these words. Like we've already addressed, ask. Ask that God will deliver you and keep seeking him. Make this your regular habitual prayer. His grace is greater than all of our sin. So we, we come to the end of the, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, what do we do with it? Um, I think first and foremost, just an appropriate posture would be that of the disciples, like in the Gospel of Luke. Um, we just say with the disciples, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to pray. Um, and uh, along those lines, um, I, I think there's a helpful takeaway, a, a couple takeaways for us. The first um, is the tremendous resource that is the history of the church's witness. <laughs> and, and so praying pre-made prayers is such a good way that we can learn to pray. In fact, uh, we have a whole book in our Bible called the Psalms that are simply prayers and songs to God. Like way more than the Psalms are supposed to be dissected and intellectualized and preached, they're just supposed to connect us to God. Individually and corporately, they connect our souls to God. So I would encourage you, if you need a place to start, start in the Psalms. Psalm 23 is a great place to start. I spent extended time in Psalm 40. Lately, I've been in Psalm 103, just reminding myself, hearing the Spirit's reminder to me that my sin is as far as the east is from the, the west. God has forgotten my sin. What a reminder to me, and this is teaching me to pray. So praying the Psalms, uh, the Lord's Prayer is another um, great location in Scripture. There are also um, the written prayers of, of the saints uh, from, from throughout church history. And so, you know, other traditions use these more than ours. I know the Anglican Church has, um, they call it the Daily Office or the Book of Common Prayer. Um, you can actually find these resources online, and it's new every day, uh, morning, noon, and evening uh, prayers that are really just scripture that you pray along with. Um, great resources there. I have a few books. I just brought one of them up on stage. This is called um, Odd to Heaven, Rooted in Earth by Walter Brueggemann. Um, it, it literally is just a book full of prayers. And so I've found myself quite often, especially when I can't find the words to pray or I'm distracted or I'm just struggling to pray or maybe I've been away from prayer for too long and need to come back, I've found the words of others being quite helpful in, in getting my soul to a place where it can connect with God. We have another one uh, at home that's uh, actually for our children called To Light Their Way. Um, so there's some great resources out there uh, where we can learn to pray. Uh, one other uh, thing I wanna suggest is a phone app. Um, there's several of these, but there's one that, that, I, called, uh, that I use called Lectio 365. Um, this is a, a prayer app where you essentially just pray along with scripture. There's a, a morning one and an evening one. You just pull up the app. There's literally two buttons, morning, evening. You just hit play, and it takes 10 minutes. You can either read it or you can play it, and somebody will read it to you. Um, there's like a, a voice and audio that comes over and read it to you. And I found myself doing this in the car a whole lot, just taking 10 minutes to still my soul and be with God. It's been so helpful. So pre-made prayers, 
um, a, a tremendously helpful resource. But then the second thing, and, and even more so, I'd just say is a regular, sustained, daily rhythm of prayer is the best way we learn to pray. And I think for a lot of us, um, uh, if we don't feel it doing anything, uh, prayer can be a, a big struggle. And that's the thing with prayer, is you can't really feel it doing anything in the moment. Um, it, our, our kind of brains are wired, and we're in a culture wired for utilitarianism, productivity, efficiency, like accomplishing the goal is the goal. And prayer just doesn't feel like that. Um, and in fact, you can't efficiency your way through prayer, because that's not the goal. The goal is union with God, being with God, as Matt phrased last week, and that takes humility. It takes patience, and it takes a willingness to step into the mystery of all that prayer is, and to keep coming back to it. And there's one thing I can promise you, is that as you implement daily rhythms of prayer, you will find yourself distracted. The one promise I can guarantee you, you will find yourself distracted. But I love what Rich Velotis says, pastor in New York, he says, he says, every time I'm distracted, every time I, my mind goes away from God in prayer, it's an opportunity to come back to Jesus. So if I'm distracted 100 times in 10 minutes of prayer, it's 100 opportunities to come back to Jesus. And may, maybe one just practical way to do that is just wherever you find your thoughts going, whatever you're thinking about, wherever, you're, wherever you are present that is not in the presence of God, one thing you can just say is, Jesus, here I am. Just a quick statement. Jesus, here I am, and come back to the presence of God. Um, if we keep in mind who God made us to be, right, his creational stewards, we watch over his creation ruling with him, and his partners in relationship to him. If we keep in mind these things, and we keep coming back to prayer, keep coming back to him, he will teach us how. He will teach us how. And then I hope many of us can be just like my friend that I shared about. No matter what comes our way, maybe a cancer diagnosis, maybe a loss of a loved one, whatever it is, that we can be joyful, confident, courageous Christians who can say, it doesn't change who I am because I'm confident that my God is able. And we only do that if we show up. And so a little mantra that I've just been repeating to myself and uh, one that's helpful hopefully for you today is when it comes to prayer, success is simply showing up. When it comes to prayer, success is simply showing up. There's no gimmicks, there's no silver bullets, no secret sauce other than showing up. Just show up and I think you'll find that God will meet you there. Uh, as we close uh, today, I um, want to close just a, a little differently, and we're actually going to re-pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, we're going to go through it a little slower. Um, and so, um, actually, if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we conclude here. And if you would care to just kind of hold your palms out like this, and this is not any kind of magic trick. Um, it's just a posture of surrender and openness to what, God could be doing in and through us in prayer. And then if you'll close your eyes with me, I'll just kind of guide us through the Lord's Prayer. And you can pray in your own heart along with these lines. Our Father in heaven, 
You are the God who is near. You are the God who has come to us, who stands not at a distance, but you've stooped to our level. Hallowed be your name. You are utterly unique and beautiful. There's no one in all of creation that is like you. No one has ever been and no one will ever be. You alone stand out and we are grateful to call you Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we confess how often we usurp your kingdom, how we try and build our own kingdoms rather than yours. And we just ask now for your forgiveness, but also would you have your way? Would the kingdom of the future age break into the here and now that we might experience restoration? That families would be restored, bodies would be restored, people would be restored, relationships would be restored. Most importantly, that we would be restored in our relationship to you. Give us today our daily bread. Father, we trust that you will provide for our needs. Give us just what we need. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Father, may we consider our hearts. Help us to forgive those who are hard to forgive. Would you heal our own hearts that we might be capable of this? And would you forgive us for the ways that we've sinned against you? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You are the king of victory. You are mighty to save. You are able to deliver. You are able to rescue us from the sin that entangles us and bring light into our darkness. So would you pierce the darkness? Would you pierce our hard hearts and soften us? and make us more like Jesus. Would you teach us? <laughs> teach us to pray. Teach us to recover who you made us to be. Teach us to walk with Jesus. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.